Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Before we get started, I do want to let you know that my first detective story an ounce of prevention is now available as an audiobook. And it is available uh, at audible.com or through the iTunes store. We're in the process of getting the full-length novel Slime Incorporated recorded, but uh, an ounce of prevention is now available, and uh, you can pick that up. All right, well, now we're going to take a listen to Pursuit. And uh, this is actually the second episode of Pursuit. The first uh, episode aired in October of 1949, and the second on November 3rd was preempted by uh, a speech by President Harry Truman. Now, the first episode of Pursuit was essentially an adaptation of You Take Ballistics. Still don't think that The Hunters was related at all to Pursuit because The Hunters was an anthology show. Be that as it may, Pursuit hit the air in uh, the fall of 1949, focusing on typical Scotland Yard chases. The initial star of Pursuit was Ted DeCorsia. Mr. DeCorsia has often been described as a villain actor, and most of his film work was as uh, villains. But his television and radio work tended to be much more diversified, just doing a lot of uh, character roles. This is one of two starring uh, radio roles he would have. The other was actually as Mike Hammer. He would play uh, Black for 29 weeks in 1949 and 1950. And we have four of those episodes surviving. And we'll take a listen to the first. So here now... From November 10th of 1949 is the story Three for All. Pursuit! Pursuit! A criminal strikes and fades quickly back into the shadows of his dark world. And then... The man from Scotland Yard, the relentless, dangerous pursuit. When man hunts man. Now, with Ted DeCorsia starred as the famous inspector Peter Black of Scotland Yard, we bring you tonight's story of violence and murder. Three for all. Sometime, somewhere, somehow, every man touches another and leaves a scar. A word is said, a deed is done, and a mortal hate is planted. 
And sometimes that hate can become death, violent death, murder. Then a man must be hunted. A man must be stalked. Through a city's crowd, through the sunlit noon, through the twilight shadows, through a thousand places. And finally, a man must be caught. Pursuit. At Scotland Yard, that's our job. Inspector Black? Yes, Sergeant. Chief Inspector Harkness wants to see you. He said, please hurry. Oh, thank you, Margaret. Right away. Oh, good morning, Black. Come in, come in. Sit down. And thank you. Sergeant Moffat made it sound very urgent, sir. Did he? May or may not be. I want your opinion on it. On what, sir? In this note. Came this morning's mail. It's made up of letters clipped from a newspaper. The thing was addressed to me and it says, A man, Melville Rogers, will be found dead today with a knife in him. He will be dead. May I see it, sir? Well, of course. Have we found a man with a knife in him today, Black? Not yet, sir. We've had many notes of this type before, and nothing has come of them. However, Black, will you look into it? Of course, sir. Excuse me, Black. Darkness here. What? Yes? Now give me that address again. Gruger's Tea Shop, 12 Buxton Lane. I have it, thank you. Well, Black? Yes, sir? They have found a man with a knife in him. A man named Melville Rogers. You'll look into it, won't you? <laughs> Folks, keep moving about your business. Stand back, please. This way, Inspector. In here, sir. Uh, thank you, Mark. That one's Mrs. Gruber, the proprietor of the restaurant. I see. I shall want to talk to her in a few minutes. The deceased, sir. He was stabbed to death as you see him sitting at this table, looking out of the window. You've established his identification. Yes, sir. Name's Melville Rogers. Lived in Kensington. Known to Mrs. Gruber over there. Had his meals here every day. I see. And uh, who are these other people? Those three? Customers, sir. Dining at the time Mr. Rogers was discovered dead. Mm. Uh, tell me, Moffat, who noticed that he was dead? Mrs. Gruber, one of the customers? This one. Oh, I did, all right. And who are you? Uh, Charles Bennett, sir. Two N's and one T. I live in Quimby Street nearby. Uh, did you get the name, sir? Charles Bennett. Yes, yes, Charles Bennett. Uh, tell me, Mr. Bennett, how did you happen to discover this man was dead? Well, I'm not a physician, sir, but that knife's sticking in his side, and he wasn't breathing, sir. Yes. No, I'm not a physician, but there are ways to tell when a man's dead. Naturally. You noticed this as soon as you came into the restaurant? Oh, no, sir. When I came in, the place was crowded. Not a table. So I waited. Even when there was a place to sit, I waited. You might wonder why I did that, sir. Yes, I might. Well, you've noticed I have a withered arm. Yes, I have. I don't hide it very well, do I? Oh, it's not that I'm ashamed. It's not that at all, but... You were waiting for this particular table. Why? Because, uh, well, it's obvious. It's the only table near the window. So I might sit and none of the other customers would notice me. My arm, sir. What do you do for a living, Mr. Bennett? Not much I can do. Our jobs... Federal newspapers, that's when you might say for a wage. But sometimes I do a painting job on a house. But you see, sir, it's my arm, it's withered. There's not much a man can do with an arm, sir. And so it went. 
The routine questions and answers. The peering in upon a handful of lives which had been thrown hard against violence. The important and impersonal data which would head a new file at Scotland Yard labeled Melville Rogers, Death by Murder. Melville Rogers, a recluse, a bachelor, a man who drove a bus from Battersea to Kingston. Not an enemy in the world, his friends said, which of course is ridiculous. Telephone for you, sir. Oh, thank you, Sergeant. Who is it? The caller won't say. A matter of urgency, though, it seems. Right. Inspector Black here. Really, now? Who is this? Can you hear me? Hello? Hello? Who is this? <laughs> You're looking for me. Who are you? It's difficult to hear. I know. I've arranged it that way. <laughs> Did you find the dead man, Inspector? Did you find Melville Rogers? I killed him. Sergeant Moffat, trace this call. But it was... Did you ask someone to trace this call, Inspector? I'll save you the trouble. I'll tell you where I am. Where are you? On Lyle Street, in a pub, the green dot. But I won't wait. Listen, Inspector. There's a man here. His name is James Campbell. He's looking at me now, and he's smiling. I'm going to stop talking with you, and then I'm going to take a walk with James Campbell, and then I'm going to stick a knife in him. <laughs> Hello? 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 Street lies across the face of London like an open wound. It is a street that's well known to Scotland Yard. The brownstone buildings that line it present a facade of drab respectability, but within them is all that is depraved and vicious and corrupt. On Lyle Street, the essence of a man is measured in terms of his brutality. Here are the delicate refinements of crime. The long fingernails with razor blades beneath them for the slitting of pockets or of throats. The smirk of death painted on the lips of women. The green dot was no different from other basement pubs on Lyle Street. It had a massive door with a peephole through which a face peered out at you. And then you were permitted to enter because you were known. And because you were known... You are greeted with a bitter silence. Anything we can do for you, Inspector? I'm looking for a man named James Campbell. Do you know him? Now, there's a proper question, Inspector. And I'll give you a proper answer. No, I don't know James Campbell. Is any one of you James Campbell? It would be well to tell me if you are, because a man named James Campbell is going to be murdered. Oh. Now, there's an interesting bit of news, Inspector, and I'm sure all of us here appreciate it. Someone here telephoned me at Scotland Yard. Who was it, Arnold? Yeah. Now, you know better than to ask me that, Inspector. All sorts of people home to all sorts of places. There's no accounting for tastes, you know. How long is it since you've been in prison, Arnold? A year, two. 
I don't rightly care to remember unpleasant things of that sort. It could be unpleasant again, Arnold, easily, quite easily. Beg your pardon, Inspector. Yes? In the phone call for you. For me? Yes, in the, in the booth over there. Oh, thank you. Like I say, Inspector, all sorts of people come to all sorts of places. Black here. Hello, Black Hawkins. Uh, yes, sir. I understand you're down there looking for a man named James Campbell. That's right, sir. But I had a telephone call just now. A person with a peculiar kind of voice. He said that James Campbell can be found at 12 Clover Crossing West. That's in Soho. Get over there at once. Right, sir. There it is, sir. There it is, room. Mr. Campbell. James Campbell. Door's locked, sir. Yes. Sergeant. Yes, sir. No one here in the sitting room. Uh, 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 there's some more rooms, sir. Uh, look in that one. And, Sergeant. Yes, sir. Look in the closets. In any place that might be big enough to hold a man's body. Yes, sir. I'll search the bedroom. Boiled through the bathroom door, obscuring everything. The whole place was a miasma of white enamel, hazy, drenched with birds of sweat. And in the shower stall, a man, face downward, fully clothed. Blood seeped from a wound in his neck, and mixing with the water washed away. And then I saw it. A wilted piece of paper tacked to the door. A paper on which was glued words cut from a newspaper. Mr. Campbell is dead, Inspector, it said. There have been two. Tomorrow night at eight, there will be a third, it said. The second act of Pursuit will follow in just a moment. But first... The shortest marathon in the world. That's the Arthur Godfrey daytime show on CBS. Every weekday, Monday through Friday, your man Godfrey entertains for 75 whole minutes, an hour and a quarter, and the time speeds by and nothing flat. Give a listen to Arthur Godfrey's daytime show every weekday on most of these same CBS stations. And now, back to the second act of Pursuit. Murder is an ultimate, and pursuit is a variation on the theme. But it so happened that this pursuit was in my domain, because all of London is Scotland Yard's domain. And in the morning, when the papers brought the news to London, it was a city which slackened its pace to allow the horror to settle. Horror and fascination. It resolved itself into simple terms. A manhunt. Man the hunted... Man the hunter. And it was the hunted who absorbed the city's imagination. The hunted who had taken special pains to make it known that some obscure lust for violence possessed him and he would kill again this evening at eight. Scotland Yard's part in it was not nearly so spectacular. All we had to do was find a man or a woman. <laughs> 
Well, Black, you can't say this murderer hasn't given us fair warning. If you call 24 hours notice fair... Then more than 12 hours of that already run out. I tell you, all of London's aroused about this thing. I know it, sir, but frankly, I don't know how we can stop him. And if we don't, someone who's walking about alive in the noonday sun will be dead by 8 o'clock. Well, you'd better get busy then, man. Oh, good day, Sergeant. Good day, sir. You haven't much time. Get busy, he says. Haven't much time, he says. Well, what do you have, Moffat? You better have a look for yourself, sir. Yeah. The life histories of the two murdered men. That is, from what information we've been able to obtain. I see. Yes. The first man who was murdered, Melville Rogers, born in Chichester. The second, James Campbell, born in Guernsey. Mm-hmm. You see, Inspector, their paths never crossed until 1939. And it's the part that's important. Both joined the RAF as ground crewmen in 39. On the same day, trained in the same camp. I haven't had time to get their war record yet, if that's necessary. However, there's this. They were both discharged from the Sheffield barracks near Huntington. Yes, according to this, on the same day. Good work, Sergeant. Thank you, sir. You say Sheffield barracks near Huntington. On the main road, sir, as you approach it from the south. Call them. Tell them I'm on my way. Good afternoon, sir. I was told to expect you. Oh, good afternoon, Private. I want to see the service records of two men. Melville Rogers... Oh, I beg your uh, pardon, sir. Service records. Two men. Oh, I'm afraid that's impossible. Did they tell you I'm from Scotland Yard? Hey, but I'm not allowed in those files, sir. Well, who is? Is that Father Private? Uh, Corporal, this gentleman's from Scotland Yard. Oh, interesting, Walt. I'm in a great hurry, Corporal. I need some information. A man's life may depend on it. A man's life, you say? What man? Who is the officer in charge here? I'm in charge temporarily, sir. What do you want? The service records of two men, Melville Rogers and James Campbell. Oh, are they serving in this barracks? Not now. They Then we wouldn't have such records, sir. I'm sorry. They received their discharge after the war from this barracks. I see. You see what? Look, you now, you'll have to see the personnel officer through that door, sir. It's Flight Lieutenant Modier you want to see. Thank you. Yes? Lieutenant Modier. Yes? I'm Inspector Peter Black, Scotland Yard. Yes? I must see the service records of two men who were discharged from this barracks. Yes? Melville Rogers and James Campbell, it's urgent. Oh, no, really? It's a matter of life and death. A man's life may depend upon your getting up from that chair, walking over to wherever you have such records on file, pulling them out and handing them to I say. Do it. Do it fast. Well, it's quite impossible, you know. I don't know anything of the kind. Well, I was saying such matters must be cleared. S2 must clear it. Intelligence, you know. Files are confidential. Who is the intelligence officer? Major Browning, right down the corridor. The last office on the left, all the way down. Thank you. <laughs> I say, that, that, that's a good one. <laughs> Just a minute, sir. Uh, the chap standing there wants to see me, I suppose. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The yes. same to you, Bertie. <laughs> Yes, what can I do for you, old man? I'm Peter Black, Inspector, Scotland Yard. Uh, have a chair. I, I could ring for tea a little early. Mm-hmm. Oh, is it? What do you say? Uh, no tea, thank you. This is very urgent, Major. Oh, urgent, you say? Good, good. Very good indeed. Uh, What's urgent? A man's life is desperately close to drawing to an end, Major. Violently. 
A man will be murdered if you don't help him. What man indeed, huh? Major, hmm? there isn't that much time. I must have the files on two ex-members of the RAF ground crew. Two men who got their discharge here. James Campbell and Melville Rogers. Mm, uh, familiar names, both of them familiar. How familiar? Oh, f- familiar. How? Hmm? Say something. How are these names familiar? Oh, should be. I court-martialed them myself. Huh? Campbell and Rogers and... Yes, and what the devil is that uh, other fellow's name? Uh, can't think of it, can't we? Well, think of it. You must think of it. Name, name, name. Timothy Hearn, NMI, no middle initial. Timothy Hearn. That's what I want. I won't need the files if you can tell me why you remember them. Easy. On VE Day, these three rascals stole a plane. Spiff, spiff, absolutely. Celebrating, loaded to the aileron. Stole a Lancaster, flew around, didn't fly badly for ground crew men. Ran out of gas, bailed out, plane crashed into a house. Killed a woman. Mrs. Edward Stanley. So that's it. Motive, revenge. You say a Mrs. Stanley was killed? Uh, how about her husband? Can't tell you a thing about her husband. Edward, uh, Edward his name was. Edward Stanley. I tried to find him, make an adjustment, tried everything to find him. Fellow seems to have vanished from the face of the earth. Uncanny, what? Not really uncanny, Major. Uh, do you mind if I use your telephone? I can tell you this, though. If you want Timothy Hearn... Look in Cotton Garden. A busker there. Can't miss him. Oh, colorful chap. Where's a red polka dot muffler? A colorful chap, yes. Oh, thank you. Uh, do you mind if I use your telephone? Yours, old boy. Uh, operator, this is Inspector Black. Put me through to Scotland Yard. I want to talk with Sergeant Moffat. Hurry. I say, old boy, why are you waiting? Would you like to hear the one Bertie just tell me it's funny, you know? Hello, Moffat. <laughs> Inspector Black speaking. Two things I want you to do. Trace a man named Edward Stanley, whose wife was killed in an airplane accident on V.E. Day. Do you have that? Good. And I want you to keep your eye on a busker named Timothy Hearn. Covent Garden. I'll meet you there. Sergeant Moffat. Hello, sir. Did you find anything on Edward Stanley? Not a thing, sir. There's no trace of it. The busker, Timothy Hearn. He's right over there, sir, entertaining the crowd. A clown dances and sings on a sunlit street. And the grotesque shadows that men again are dead. I watched Timothy Hearn, the busker, perform for the queue waiting outside the theater. He was a little man with a clown's radiant face. He wore a silk polka dot muffler and tied Natalie around his throat. His clothes were frayed, but somehow he managed a kind of regal relevance. Then he passed through the crowd rattling a tambourine. Some dropped coins into it, some didn't. Then he was standing in front of me. Did you like my pantomime, sir? Always aim to please, I do. And you know, I perform for the best I am. It was fine. Here, Timothy. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. I say, may I ask how you knew my name? It's not often we buskers are given any kind of billing from our beloved public. <laughs> Is there somewhere we could talk? Oh, I'll go on again in a few minutes, sir. Acrobatic dance. Uh, perhaps we could have a nice talk some other time. Good day, sir. I'm Inspector Black, Scotland Yard, Timothy. Oh. <laughs> a fellow professional, you might say. We may sort of put a different light on it. We can talk over here by the vegetable soul, Inspector. Very well. 
Wait, sir. It's true I don't have a performer's permit, but I think Jeff's got to do something, you know. Uh, what's the fine, Inspector? You once knew two men named Melville Rogers and John Campbell. It, uh, it was a long time ago, Inspector. I've already done penance for that. Rogers and Campbell were murdered. Did you know that? Yes, I did. How did it affect you that night? After our court-martial, we never spoke to each other again. I guess it was the ugly shame of it. Of all of it. Their death, how did it affect you, Timothy? I try not to think about it, sir. Timothy, this is a hard thing to tell a man, but I must. The murderer has established a pattern. I believe you are part of that pattern. Do you mean he wants to kill me, too? But why? I've never harmed anyone. Except... Except... Exactly. Except the woman who was killed in that unfortunate airplane incident. And someone who loved her very much is the man we're looking for. Before he murdered, he sent us a note. Each time there was a note announcing his victim's death. He announced yours would take place at eight tonight. What? And that doesn't give us much time, me or you. What shall I do, Inspector? Actually, there's nothing for you to do. You're to act as you always act. One of our men will be with you all the time. You won't see him, and you're not to look for him. But I want you in your own home before eight tonight. Before eight? Right, Inspector. I say, you catch him before... before we'll I... do our best, Timothy. I promise you, we'll do our best. There was no turning back now. I had made a choice and accepted a responsibility. And if I were wrong, I was offering up a frightened busker named Timothy Hearn as a sacrifice to a madman. It was a setting for murder. The background was precise. A dismal corner where Marleybone Road crosses Oxford Street, damp beneath an early evening drizzle where the wetness had spread the reflection from the street lamps into a yellow film. A corner where Timothy Hearn lived. A corner of shadows and silence. At seven, a police cordon was lined around the block. A few minutes before eight, I was standing in the doorway next door to Timothy's, waiting. Inspector. Yes, yes, Sergeant. Everything's ready. Good. All the intersections covered? Yes, sir. No one can possibly get through. Except the busker. Except Timothy Hearn and whoever might be following him, if it's a stranger. Exactly, sir. All right. Off the street now, Sergeant. In this doorway with me. Yes, sir. Sergeant. Sir? The underground entrance. Look at it. I think so, sir. The busker. Yes. On time. Right on time. What? He seems to be drunk, sir. He's not drunk. Let's go. Timothy! Timothy Hearn! Tim... Inspector. Dead. Timothy Hearn, busker, dead, and it was my fault. But how on the underground, the one place in the world where he would be with thousands of other people and still be alone. Inspector, I... What's happened? Who are you? He's the officer detailed to follow Timothy Hearn. Then why didn't he follow Hearn? Why didn't he... Inspector, I... Why didn't you, man? If you'd done your job, this fellow would still be alive. I followed my instructions, sir. He was only out of my sight for five seconds the whole afternoon. When was that? When he got off the underground train. 
He was walking towards the stairs when he turned suddenly, dodged through some people and bought a newspaper. Newspaper? Yes, sir. The very one that's in his coat pocket. And certainly he wasn't wounded until he got off the train. Else he wouldn't have stopped for a paper. Sergeant, come with me. What? What's it, do you think? Wait here, Sergeant. Cover this exit. Are there any others? No, sir. Did you just spot him, sir? You're sure there are no other exits? Only the emergency ones inside the tube. We'll not let him get that far, will we, Sergeant? And be careful. Our man is insane. I want no innocent people killed. Yes, sir. Uh, Inspector. Yes, Sergeant. You'll take care, won't you? Oh, thank you, Mother. Now I'm going to see a man about a newspaper. Paper, sir. and standard latest edition. Paper, sir. Uh, how long have you been selling papers here, Mr. Stanley? Oh, you made a mistake, you have. My name's Charles Bennett. So you remember me, Mr. Stanley. Mr. Edward Stanley? Your face does have a familiar look, but you're very wrong about who I am. It's Bennett that I'm called. Everyone knows that. Bennett, the one with the withered arm. That's how they called me. Man of all work, that's me. And uh, how is Mrs. Stanley, Mr. Stanley? Don't speak her name. Perhaps I can tell you. Your wife was killed, wasn't she, Mr. Stanley? By an airplane that crashed into your house. By three tragic men who were celebrating V.E. Day. Isn't that how it was, Mr. Stanley? I'll kill you. I'll kill you. Her name's not to be used by scum like you. They were all that to you, weren't they? Rogers, Campbell, and now Hearn. Dead. As you wanted them, dead. The circle is complete, isn't it, Mr. Stanley? No. No, not quite. Not quite. Put away that gun. There are innocent people here. Innocent? You're all guilty. Guilty. Sergeant Moffat, get him up. Come on, Inspector. Come and get me. Inspector, there he goes. He's on the truck. Stanley. Stanley, come back here. that underground tube was a substance, a substance that pressed itself into my brain and down into my lungs. The body of a madman lay crushed and broken under the wheels of a train. And so, in a tragic shriek, was ended the life of a man. A man is hunted. A man is stalked through a city's crowd, through shadows, through a thousand places. And finally, a man is caught. Pursuit. And the pursuit is ended. Welcome back. Uh, there actually was a story similar to this uh, later on on Broadway is my beat. Although we are uh, missing the credits on this one, it's not a stretch to say the same writer uh, wrote this. Uh, an interesting episode, there were still, I think, some parts where they they kind of working on developing the feel of the show, particularly when Peter Black got in, invited in to his superior's office and uh, not that uh, they'd be uncivil, but it's just uh, the way... Would you be a good chap and go and investigate that murder? Just not a, a, even a natural uh, way of speaking. But other than that, there's a lot of suspense in here. And, of course, uh, it's noteworthy that Black 
But then uh, I think a really big turnaround when Lack is able to collar the suspect in short order. And it's one of those stories, kind of like uh, G.K. Chesterton's Invisible Man, where you don't necessarily think of the guy who's hawking newspapers as a suspect. But a good job by Black on actually solving this. All right, well, on to some listener comments and feedback. Well, we turn now to some listener comment and uh, feedback. And uh, I have an email here from Roderick who says, uh, thank you for playing so many of my favorite detective stories. As a child of the 80s, I miss the golden age of radio, where imagination played such a large part of entertainment. Fortunately, one of the local radio stations played programs such as Dragnet and The Shadows and engendered a love of the genre. I've listened to the entirety of your podcast, including all of Dragnet, and have enjoyed most of the choices you've made over the years. Again, I thank you. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, email in from uh, Ontario, Canada, and uh, I hope that uh, you'll be listening when we start Dragnet again in just a few weeks coming this August. And hopefully I'll have more insightful commentary and better quality sound, which is always going to be a plus. All right. Well, that will do it for today. We will be back tomorrow with Pat Novak for Hire. And join us next week for another episode of Pursuit. Send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net, Twitter at Radio Detectives, and Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.